Well, good morning. How are you today? Good. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I'd love to meet you at some point. Uh, We are continuing this series today called The Church, and we're talking about The Church, uh, clever title. And um, in this series, we're trying to form just a simple definition about the church so that we know what we're talking about when we say the church. And so um, here's the definition that we're working on. The church is a community of people who follow Jesus, gather for worship, publicly profess our faith, commit to one another, and spread the gospel. That's what the church is. And each week in this series, we're talking about one part of this definition. And so today, we're talking about how the church is a community of people who commit to one another. We commit to each other. And we call that membership. Membership. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if I'm honest, when I hear the word membership, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And that's probably because of uh, some random things that have happened to me in life. Uh, When I was a kid, um, I was friends with some people who were uh, members of the country club. And on the way to the country club, they would tell me like, now remember, you don't have a tab because you're not a member. So you just have to sign it over to us or whatever, which was, felt was kind of cool. But I also remember thinking, I'm not a member. Um, and that was like stamped on me. You don't belong here, really. Uh, you're a guest on guest day. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, and then I got married and Courtney was a member of Costco. And so I thought, all right, I'm in, you know? Um, And so one day I went to Costco and I just had her card because I was like, we're married, you know? Hers, what's hers is mine and what's mine is hers. And they wouldn't let me in. And they were like, well, you're not a member, she is. And I was like, yeah, but we're married. And they were like, doesn't matter. So we had to get that figured out. Um, And then um, I've also had uh, a membership at a gym And I still have that membership. And the reason is because it's in another city and they won't let me cancel it. Um, Literally, I called them and I was like, hey, uh, I actually moved and I didn't get around to canceling before I left. And they said, well, you're welcome to come anytime you want and cancel. And I was like, well, that's kind of a problem because I don't live there anymore. Um, Can we just do this over the phone? And they said, no. And so literally... um, they are still charging me uh, to be a member there. But I still get all the membership uh, privileges that I would want if I were to go there. So you gotta weigh the pros and the cons. Um, So when I hear membership, uh, it reminds me of that kind of stuff. And it just, it's it's hard for me. Um, And maybe that's how you feel when you hear us talk about membership related to the church. It's like, wait a minute. Is this just creating like some kind of pay-to-play subscription service or some kind of secret society? Is membership in the church just creating a who's who? And is membership in the church making the church even more exclusive and even more judgmental than it already has a reputation for being? Because if so, we don't want any part of that. And I don't want any part of that either. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about membership at the church. It's not like a pay-to-play subscription where in order to, you know, really, we have the special, you know, package for members that exists. And um, that's not what membership is. The word membership just comes from two metaphors 
that the Bible uses to talk about the church. The church is referred to in the New Testament as a family and as a body, a family and a body. And that's where we get the language of membership. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. The Apostle Paul is writing to this group of Christians in this city called Ephesus. And he says to this group of Christians that you are a member of God's household. You are a member of God's family. Why? Just because of your connection to Jesus. So to be a Christian is to be a member of God's family. To be a follower of Jesus means to take on a whole new identity, to become part of a new family, to be a member in that family. That's where we get the word membership. Here's the second image, a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you, speaking to these followers of Jesus, this community of people who follow Jesus, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Jesus is not on the earth today in a physical way. And so how is the world supposed to know what he's like? The answer is his body. His body is still on the earth. His body is the group of people who claim his name, the group of people who belong to him. And that's what we talk about when we talk about membership. Membership is the group of people who claim the name of Jesus and who commit together to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. That's what we're talking about when we talk about membership. So in one sense, every single person who's a follower of Jesus, every single person who has heard the message of Jesus his death and resurrection and has believed it, has trusted in it to save them of their sins. Every single person who follows Jesus, who believes in Jesus is a member of the church, the universal church, the church that exists throughout all time and all places. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've become part of his family. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of his body. That's what's true about you. At the same time, it's possible to belong to the universal church, the big C church, and not be connected to a local church. Membership is simply a tool or a strategy that helps people identify as connected to a local body. Okay, so we're part of the big C church. We're part of God's family. We're, we're part of the body. Okay, what does that look like? Membership is just a tool or a strategy that helps you say, I'm committing to this family of faith. I'm going to be a member of this body. That's what membership is. So membership is simply a tool. 
It's simply a formal way of committing to each other, of committing to be part of the family and committing to be part of the body. That's what membership is. And so do you see the connection between membership and the ordinances or baptism in the Lord's Supper? Last week, we talked about baptism in the Lord's Supper. If you would like to go listen to that, it's on our website. You can go listen. But we said last week that faith is a very personal thing, but it is not a private thing. To follow Jesus means to go public with your faith. And the way that we initially go public is through baptism. And the way that we continually go public is by joining together at the Lord's table, taking the Lord's Supper. And we said that baptism and the Lord's Supper are not just vertical commitments. They're not just saying, we are going to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. But they're actually also horizontal commitments. They're saying, we are going to follow Jesus together. I'm committing to you that I'm going to live my life in the way of Jesus. And you're committing that to me. And so membership then is a logical next step. Membership in its, you know, most stripped down form is simply recognizing these are the people who have identified with Jesus through baptism. And these are the people who you can expect to regularly gather together at the Lord's table to take the Lord's Supper. That's what membership is. Now, it's possible to be baptized and take the Lord's Supper and not be a member. Again, membership is just a tool. It's a formal recognition that says, I'm committing to do the things I said I would do when I got baptized. And I'm committing to be someone who regularly comes to the Lord's table and does the things that we pledge to do together as a body. That's all membership is. So it's not some kind of secret club. It's not a secret society. It's not a pay-to-play subscription of some kind. It's simply a formal commitment to join together, to commit together, to do the work of being the family of God on the earth and of being the body of Christ on the earth. That's what membership is. Today, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is simply talk about, does that really matter? Does making a formal commitment to be part of God's family on the earth in a, in a visible way, does making the commitment to a local body of believers actually matter? And what would be involved with that? And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're maybe new to church and you're just exploring things, this is actually an excellent time for you to be here. And here's why. Because you get to evaluate what things are supposed to be today. So feel free to judge us today because you're supposed to. When you experience the body, it should be like you're experiencing Jesus himself. And so today, as we talk about membership, it's primarily focused towards people who should be doing some of these things to us, okay? But if you're here, again, feel free to judge us. And this vision 
that Paul is going to lay out for what the church can be, I think, is compelling. And I think that if you have a longing to be known and to be loved, that you can actually find that in a tangible way in Jesus. And you can experience him in his body if we will commit to doing these things. So this is not just a message for members or the insiders today, but it does directly apply to members, okay? So Ephesians chapter four, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Ephesians chapter four, and this is on page 1037 in the Bible that's there in the seat if you need something like that. Um, The reason that we're looking at Ephesians chapter four is because of all the passages in the New Testament, to me, this one best kind of summarizes the, the goal of membership. And so what we're gonna do today is talk about, does membership really matter? What is entailed in doing it? And Ephesians chapter four will help. So Ephesians chapter four, start in verse seven. Paul is writing to this church and he says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this to every single person in the church. Jesus has given all of us a gift. And that's just as true for the church today as it was for the the church in the first century. Every single person in the church has been gifted by Jesus. You may feel like a failure. You may feel like you bring absolutely nothing to the table. You may feel like you're a total embarrassment. Jesus has gifted you. And the reason that he's gifted you is because you have a job that he wants you to do. Skip down to verse 11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So those are some leadership roles that he's given the church, he says. But here's what all of those roles are to do. Verse 12. They are to equip the saints, that's the followers of Jesus, the church members. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So let me ask you something. Just based on these three little verses that we've read, who is responsible for doing the work of the church? Who is responsible for building up the church? 
the members themselves share the responsibility. Now think about that for just a minute. The church is the body of Christ and each individual member shares responsibility for whether or not that's a healthy body or not, whether or not that's a body that grows or not. The members themselves share the responsibility. And so do you see what this means? If you are a follower of Jesus, it means that you have a job to do in the church. This is not just a preacher thing or a pastor thing. It's not just for the evangelists. It's not just for the prophets and apostles. It's for you. You share the responsibility for whether or not this accurately represents Jesus to the world. Today, the, the main reason that we're talking about this is because we want to be able to do our job well. Maybe you thought that you were fired from the job. We don't need you anymore. It's not true. You have a job to do if you're a follower of Jesus in building the church. So what's the job? What are you responsible for as it relates to the body? And why does membership matter related to that? Here's the job. <laughs> Two things, and these are kind of cliche. First, you're responsible for how the body walks. And second, you're responsible for how the body talks. You're responsible for how the body walks and you're responsible for how the body talks. What do I mean by that? Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live or literally walk worthy of the calling you have received. And here's what that would look like. Verse two. With all humility, you as a member of the body of Christ share responsibility for this being a body that walks through the world in a humble way. What does that mean? Humility is seeing yourself rightly. It's knowing your place in relation to God and to others. It's thinking about yourself less. And humility causes us to approach each other as peers, regardless of our differences. We have difference in how much money we make. Some people have a lot of money. Some people have not a lot of money. 
Some people have a lot of education. Some people have very little education. Some people live in this neighborhood. Some people live in this neighborhood. Some people have this ethnicity. Some people have this ethnicity. Some people are from this background. Other people are from this background. Humility recognizes that all of us are peers. I'm not any better than you. Why is this a body that would walk by humility? Because this is the body of Jesus. The way that we became part of this body was by believing a simple message. The message is that all of us, all human beings are created in God's image. That means every single human being is worthy of love and respect. And every single human being has also fallen short of the standards that they're supposed to live up to. Every single human being is not only valuable because they're made in God's image, but they're also sinful because they don't reflect God the way that they should. And there's no distinction. People from every socioeconomic background, those two things are true about. People from every nation, those two things are true about. People from every political party, those two things are true about. They're made in God's image and they've fallen short of God's glory for there is no distinction. But the way that we became part of the body of Christ is we also heard the message that God has sent his son, Jesus, to leave the place where he was high and lifted up and to lower himself to come to the earth. And when he came to the earth, he just kept going lower and lower and lower and lower. And do you know why he did that? So that he could also lift us up. And he has done that by dying on the cross and by being raised from the dead. People who truly cherish that message cannot, in good conscience, live with pride for very long. People who cherish that message recognize that the only thing that I have that can give me reason for confidence and reason to boast is what I have in Jesus. And that's, that's not mine. That's something I received as a gift. So in the church, when the gospel is, the, the gospel just means the message of Jesus. When the gospel is understood and cherished, it inevitably humbles people.
So here are some questions that we can ask ourselves to evaluate. Are we walking as a humble body? Do people hear us talk about our weaknesses and our failures? Do you ever meet with anyone who doesn't directly benefit you? Whose failures and shortcomings do you notice and focus on? Yours or someone else's? Are you open to learning and receiving correction? Those are marks of a humble body. And each of us as members has a role to play in making sure that that's how the body walks. Do we walk humbly? He says, next, with all humility and gentleness. Gentleness is being courteous. It's being considerate of others. It's responding to one another with the appropriate strength. Um, I heard one pastor a long time ago use this illustration, and I've always remembered it. He said, um, gentleness is, is understanding the difference between the force you would use to pick up a baseball and the force you would use to pick up a contact lens. You're responding with the appropriate strength. That's what gentleness is. Think about a teacher who gets asked a question by a student, and it's a dumb question. We know a gentle teacher from a non-gentle teacher, right? We all know what it's like to be in a situation where somebody who's smarter makes you feel stupid. And we know what it's like for somebody who is smarter to gear down. And that's gentleness. It's responding with the appropriate strength. So here are some questions to think about because each of us has a role to play in making sure that we walk gently. Can you say hard things softly? Can you say hard things softly? How do you react when someone tells you something that you don't want to hear? Those are signs of gentleness. Each of us has a role to play in making sure that we walk that way. Here's what he says next. We're to walk with all humility and gentleness with patience. The word patience literally means to have a long temper to make allowance for others' shortcomings, to go the speed of another person. And this one's hard for me in particular because I want progress. I want to go. But following Jesus is far more like life in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic than it is life on the open road. That's just the reality of following Jesus. 
And as a body that walks the earth, are we patient? Aren't you glad that this is how God responds to you? You've screwed up again. When is this guy going to get it together? That's not the kind of line that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Instead, he's patient because he wants you to, to get it right and repent. So some questions. How well do you wait? How do you make people feel when you're waiting? Related to patience, he says, bearing with one another in love. This is just expounding, expanding the idea of patience. It's amplifying patience. The body is to be a place, this family is to be a place where we wait with one another. We bear with one another. We walk with one another, even through hard times. And then, verse three, we're to walk, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is an interesting little verse. <clears throat> he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. What does that assume? It assumes we already have it. Unity is a reality before it's an aspiration. Unity is rooted in who God is. God is one. There is one God and there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet God is still one. And this same unity, we have attained in the body of Christ through the gospel. Jesus did not just die to reconcile us to God. Jesus also died to reconcile us to one another. Our unity is a reality that is attained in the gospel. We are one. The question is whether or not we get to experience the blessings of that unity. And one of the places where we get to practice being who we really are is in the church. We're to keep we're to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What's the bond of peace? The gospel. Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22. You can go read that. Jesus has made us one. We are to make every effort to keep this unity, to walk as one. As Paul would say in Philippians, to agree in the Lord. That is how the body is supposed to walk. And each one of us 
has a job to play in helping us walk that way. Membership is simply a formal commitment to be part of that. Membership is simply a way of saying publicly, you know what, I've committed to following Jesus and I also want to commit to being his body on the earth. I want to commit to living like his family so that others can come to know what God's really like, so that others can come to know what Jesus is really like. And so we're going to commit to walking together like this. So membership is a way of formally committing to play our part in how the body walks. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Membership is a formal commitment to play our part in how the body talks. Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Members as a whole are responsible for the talking of the body. We're to speak truth. When we talk, it's to be things that are true. What does that mean? I think it means a couple things. One, it means that we tell the truth to each other. We don't lie. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is interesting. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, and then notice the grounds that he gives, the reason that he gives. Because we are members of one another. We're just to tell the truth to each other. That's what it means to speak the truth and love. Tell the truth. Why would we be tempted to lie? I don't know. There's probably a lot of reasons. You could probably do a whole series on motivations for lying. But there's at least a... The bottom line is because you don't want to tell the truth. Maybe the truth makes you feel ashamed. Maybe it makes you feel embarrassed. Maybe it reflects poorly on you. Maybe the truth doesn't cast you in as good of a light as you would like. Maybe the truth pins you, catches you. So how could a community find the courage to be willing to tell the truth. Maybe a community that is formed by the message of Jesus would be a community where everybody has the courage to say what's true. This is going to reflect poorly on me. Dude, we already know you're a sinner. This is a community where we all believe that. 
And not only do we believe that you're a sinner, but we believe that Jesus is a savior for sinners like you. So why would you hide? Why would you lie? See, in this kind of community, there is the freedom to be honest. And so that when we talk as a body, it's true. So that's one way that we speak the truth. The other way that we speak the truth is making sure that what we teach as a church is true. This is one of the reasons that when we open the Bible together, I like for you to open the Bible. Is you opening the Bible some kind of magic formula that somehow makes the church better? No. But I like just reminding you even, just by the simple act of you opening your Bible, that the only reason you should listen to me or anyone else who's ever up here is if what they're saying, you can actually see it yourself. When we do a lot of talking, we have an obligation to make sure that we're speaking things that are true. True about Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him, you, when you heard the word of truth, and then he just explains what the word of truth is. He says, the gospel of your salvation. So the truth refers to Jesus and the message about Jesus, the message that's preserved in God's word, the Bible. So as a church, we want to make sure that we're teaching the truth. And you may feel like, well, Nate, you're up there a lot doing a lot of this. On and on and on. Sometimes we wish you would just wrap it up, but you're just on and on and on. And so this is your job. Yeah, in one sense, it is my job. But in another sense, you are also responsible for what gets taught here. This is why we want the Bible open. There are people almost every week who will stop me in the hall after a message just with a question about something. And I love that. I love it because it's a way of making sure I remember I'm accountable for what I say. And I'm accountable to the Lord. Yes, I'm also accountable to you. Part of your job as a member of the church, as a member of the body, is to make sure that when, when we're talking as a body, we're saying stuff that's true. That refers to the sermon. If you for 40 years sit in a church where they're just spewing lies about God's word and who Jesus is and yada, yada, it's not like you're going to someday be off the hook. It's like, well, that's the, that, those are the leaders you gave me, Lord. Paul said in Galatians 1, even if an angel from heaven showed up and, and preached a different gospel, don't tolerate it. So 
you have a shared responsibility for how the church talks, what the church teaches. And this is not just true about the pulpit ministry, the sermon. It's also true about all of our ministries. We should each care about what we're teaching in kids' ministry and what we're teaching in student ministry and what we're teaching in women's Bible studies and what we're teaching in community groups and what we're teaching in adult classes. We should each care about that because we're, we all have a shared responsibility to talk the truth. Okay, I think you get that. So, um, Membership is a helpful tool for accomplishing this because membership says, here's what we're committing to teach. Here's the statement of faith that we're agreeing to. Here are the bounds that we're setting. Membership is just a helpful tool to accomplish that. It's also a helpful tool because it gives permission for other people to speak into my life. Speak truth to me, a member can say. By becoming a member, I'm giving you permission to do that. So when the body talks, it's to talk truth, but it's also to talk truth in love, Paul says. Love speaks to the motivation of the speaking and the manner in which you're speaking. By motivation, I mean, why do you want to speak the truth? Sometimes we feel like there's this compelling, like we're going to be bold and speak the truth. And essentially what we mean is we're going to say something that somebody doesn't really want to hear that's going to be hard for them to hear. And we just feel good doing it. Well, what's the motivation in you speaking this truth? Is it love? Think about Jonah, the prophet in the Old Testament. Jonah was supposed to go speak to these people that he hated. A whole nation, a whole ethnicity that he hated. And he didn't want to go because he was a racist. And he was supposed to go and say, repent, change your mind and live differently so that God's judgment won't come to you. But he didn't want to go. Why? Because he wanted them to get the judgment. And so eventually he ends up going because he got swallowed by a fish and then you pretty much do whatever God says after that. And so he goes and he gets there and he gives the shortest sermon ever. Repent, y'all are all gonna be destroyed. And then he goes outside of the city and he sits on this hill to watch what will happen. And he's hoping that they get destroyed. But they repent. And he gets furious. Jonah is not the example for the church to follow. We are to speak truth. Jonah did that, but we're to do it in love. We're to do it from a motivation that I love you and I want what's best for you. That's why I'm saying this. So we speak the truth in love that refers to our motivation. It also refers to the manner in which we speak. Colossians chapter four, verse six says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. In the book of 1 Timothy, 
Paul tells this young pastor that he is to refute those who are teaching false doctrine. He's to refute them and correct them. And in the same letter, he can say, and anybody who's going to be a pastor is not to be quarrelsome. They're not to be somebody who's looking for a fight. How can both of those things exist at the same time? We're supposed to go correct people who are teaching false teaching and we're not supposed to be quarrelsome because we're to speak truth, but in love. That's why. And love is not looking for a fight. Somehow, Jesus was able to have an uncompromising conviction about truth and an unrelenting love for people. And we are to be his body. Jesus could confront sin and hypocrisy and be humble and kind. Jesus could boldly denounce sexual immorality and befriend prostitutes. Jesus could call the whole world to obedience and condemn the whole world as sinners. And yet he laid down his life for sinners. This is who the church is to be the body of Christ who talks with truth and love, who walks with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's who the church is. What in the world does this have to do with membership? Can you do all of that stuff without becoming a member of a church? Yeah, sure. There's no like Bible verse that says, you should sign up for membership class and become a member of your church. But realistically, this is hard work. And membership is simply a tool that says, hey, commit to one another Formalize the fact that you want to be this kind of family and this kind of body. That's what membership is. And so one of the things that we're doing is trying to get more intentional to strengthen our membership culture at Highlands. There's a lot of stuff that is entailed with that. Um, and We'll be talking about all that stuff in due time, but here are just a few things that you should know. First, in June, next month, we're going to do a membership meeting. And if you're a member, I hope that you're there. Like, I would love perfect attendance, honestly. That's not going to happen because um, lots of stuff, you know, comes up and you've got stuff to do and you've got a life, and I understand that. But we're going to have a membership meeting, and I hope that if you're a member that you come. And the purpose of membership meetings is simply to sing together and pray together and hear testimonies together and share financial updates about the church and share ministry updates and give you as members a chance to ask leaders questions. That's the point of it. It's just a chance for us to pull the curtain back and say, hey, we've got a job to do as leaders, but you've also got a job to do and we wanna help each other do our jobs. 
So that's what we're going to do in a membership meeting. So that's coming in June. You can stay tuned for that, and we would love to have you come to that. But we also have formed this thing called a membership task force. And it's just a group of people who are studying membership and are working to uh, help us think about what membership could look like here at Highlands. And on this task force have been some people who already are members and some people who are not members. And I just have loved that because there's such a good diversity of perspective that we've had and we're wrapping up that work and I'm super grateful to the Lord for it. Um, With that will come lots of other things that uh, hopefully roll out of that. The point is we're going to do our best to make it mean something when you become a member at Highlands. And my hope is that you would become a member that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would become a member and that you becoming a member would not just be you signing up some form and being on a roll somewhere, but that you being a member would actually be your way of formalizing your commitment to the body. That we as members would be committed to each other so that the world can accurately get a picture for what Jesus is like in how we walk and how we talk. Let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Spirit, I do ask that you would be active. Would you keep us together as one? Father, we thank you for sending your son and making us part of your family through what he accomplished. God, I ask that you would help us to be his body on the earth. Pray that each of our members, each one of us, would play the unique role that you've designed us to play. And God, more than anything, we ask that we would be committed to doing your will, not our own. Would we have the same mind? Would we grow into the head, which is Christ? We want to fix our eyes on him, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?